Lord, I come before you this morning, and I come before you this morning on behalf of those who came here this morning tired. I come before you this morning, especially for those who came here not just tired, but feeling like there's no hope. Feeling like they've given their best, that they've carried the sword of the Lord into battle and not been victorious. I just want to pray against that feeling this morning and pray, Father God, that you would actually lift those people up and know that there is hope. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we can come in your presence with our goofiest smile and that you love us and that you're here for us today. And I pray that no one here today would leave this place without receiving what they need for the week ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Do you feel like the world is going mad? I try to stay culturally relevant for the young people that are in my life. And so I ask them about what's going on there out in the world. And then I find a quiet little place to curl up in and pray to God and say, What is going on? Sometimes it feels like the world is going mad. But we're at war and we shouldn't be surprised. Kingdoms at war and we shouldn't be surprised. And the worst thing that can happen to any one of us is to feel like we're losing. I can assure you, we're not. 1 John 5, 14-21. Uh, by the way, there are notes out here. Um, I promise I'm not yelling yet. <laughs> uh, there are notes out here because I'm going to hit a lot of scriptures today. And I know as a note taker myself, there's nothing worse than when a preacher rattles off six scriptures and they're going, oh, I didn't get those down. Uh, so there are some notes out there if you want to get those. 1 John 5, 14 to 21. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Three things that I want to talk about today with a little dog leg in the middle there. I always have a little dog leg. I'm sorry, it's just who I am. 
and God loves me, so you have to too. <laughs> um, three things. God is real. God is listening. God cares. God is real. We have confidence in approaching God. God is listening. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. God cares. We know that we have what we asked of Him, providing it's what God wants for us. I keep on asking God for a sports car. <laughs> and He says, no, you will do bad things in it. <laughs> and I say, you are wise, but unfair. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> providing it's what God wants for us. God cares about us and sin. And when we sin. But here's my dog leg. Let's just pause for a minute and talk about the sin that leads to death. I've read this again and again and again. And every time, it's like there's this little thing that goes off in the back of my mind. If there is a sin that leads to death, perhaps I should know something about this. It's a little bit like walking through a valley and you know there's a mine in there somewhere that's going to blow your face off. It would probably be a good idea to know where that was. So again and again, that sin that leads to death, and I'm sitting there thinking, what is that? So I did some research. And in fact, to be honest with you, I've been researching this one for about five years. Again and again and again. So I'm going to give you the answers I've found. And you're going to be unsatisfied and you're going to go away and you're going to study it for five years. My opinion of the sin that leads to death from five years' worth of research. <laughs> My opinion. The sin you don't repent of. The sin you don't fight against. The one that destroys any chance of a relationship with God. Let me go into it a bit more deeper. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, and it does not specify what kind of sin here. It's general. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we can confess our sin authentically, agree with God that it is sin, that it stinks, hate it, turn from it, fight against it, we will be forgiven. Any sin we commit, that we are by grace capable of truly confessing and repenting from, does not lead to death. The Bible's very clear on that. But let's have a jump over to Hebrews 12, 16 to 17 for a minute. When talking about Esau and what happened to him, it says this. See that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent. Too late. Though he sought it with tears. When it says he sought it, it means he sought repentance. But he couldn't find it. He was no longer capable of repenting. It's not that he repented and repented and cried over his repentance and God wouldn't forgive him. No, somehow he could not repent. 
Now, I don't pretend to totally understand this, as I think I've made pretty clear. But one thing is for sure. I'm going to keep short accounts with God and turn to repentance as quickly as possible to avoid even the possibility that I might get to the state where I can no longer repent. Let's keep it clear. In my opinion, that's what I think Jesus meant by the unforgivable sin. It's not a particular sin, like some particular ugly act, but at a particular depth or degree or aggravation or persistence in sin to the point where authentic, real confession and repentance have become impossible, a.k.a. Satan. More about that in a minute. But there's also a warning to us about dealing with people. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1, 18-20, This command I entrust you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Imagine hearing that from the pulpit. I hand you over to Satan so you'll be taught not to blaspheme. I had to do a funny voice because otherwise it's kind of painful. This would seem to suggest that there is a time where we're dealing with people whose sin is leading to death. Again, I'm still unsure about much of this, and I'm going to counsel you again. Our first instinct must always be to try and gently, I'll repeat that, gently lead people away from sin, including ourselves. If you read through 1 Corinthians 5, especially verse 5, when Paul rebukes immorality in stronger words than I've used yet, you'll see that even Paul's harsh proclamation here is actually done in the hope that God himself will lead these people to repentance that will save their souls. They were handed over to be taught not to blaspheme and I hope that they would come back. But you see, the whole world, this is why the world's going mad, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So we're told to keep ourselves from idols. Satan is one who has committed sin leading to death. He knows God and still turned from him. There's nothing left, Satan can be told, that will change his mind. He's seen it all. This passage tells us that the whole world is under Satan's control. And that's why the world has gone mad. And we shouldn't actually be surprised. You may feel like I'm taking you through a very dark valley right now. It's okay. We will come out the other side of the cave, honest. Just stay with me. In Matthew 12, 26, Jesus said, If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So we can see there is a kingdom of Satan. Two verses later, Jesus said, If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there is a kingdom of God. The conflict is real. The war is real. The kingdoms are at war. So which side are we on? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
Is this your view of the world? This is what we're up against, and to try and deny it is to be very vulnerable to it. You're in a war zone, weaponless, defenseless, helpless. But what does it mean? Well, if the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, then the evil one is a ruler of this world, and this world is an evil place to live, and this time we live in is an evil time. Thankfully, giving a little glimmer of hope here, we are not of this world. And this is what we read in other parts of the New Testament as well. Take this world of this age, for example. Paul says in Galatians 1.4 that Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. The age we live in is simply called evil. The world lies in the power of the evil one, and so the age of this world is evil. In Ephesians 5.16, Paul says, Redeem the time, for the days are evil. The days are evil, the age is evil, because the world and all the days of the world lie in the power of the evil one. And that's a whole lot of evil. We'll just pause for a moment for you to digest that. So Paul tells Christians in Colossians 1.13 that what happened to them when they were converted is that they were delivered. There's the word delivered from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Christ. Whew, praise God. It's an evil age because the world lies in the power of a dark and evil master. To become a Christian is to be delivered from this dominion, to be delivered from this authority, and to be delivered from this power. And if you're here today and you've never asked Jesus to be your savior and you want to be delivered from this evil world, dominion, authority, and power, please do not leave here today without talking to someone and we would welcome you into the family and into the kingdom of God. Amen? You can see the same thing when you look at the New Testament descriptions of Satan. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says, The God, now just a minute, the God, small g. It's important, small g, not big g, small g, God, small g. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Small g, okay, get that into your head, small g. We're not here to panic, small g. <laughs> Wanna be God, you know. In Ephesians 2.2, Paul says to the Christians who have been delivered from the dominion of darkness, you all once walked according to the age of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That power has a prince or a ruler called here the prince of the power of the air. Somehow he shapes the powerful patterns of the age and seems to do this mainly by working, as Paul says, in the sons of disobedience. So, <clears throat> point to self, don't be disobedient. He somehow fills the whole atmosphere, the air, with his power, but he is specifically at work inside those who walk in disobedience to Christ. We need to make sure we are part of the solution, not part of the problem. Can I get an amen? Because I could be walking with Christ through part of my day and then completely blow it. You know, one morning I woke up and I said, Dear God, I haven't sinned yet today. Maybe I should stay in bed. And he said, Sloth, uh, dang. Blew it. This is why we need to examine ourselves carefully. 
Okay, so let's stop and catch our breath. Do you see it? Do you see that the ruler, the prince, the god, small g, of business and industry and commerce and politics and education and the arts and recreation and entertainment is Satan? You see that? The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is what we're up against. The war between kingdoms is real. So we need to beware of jumping to an oversimplified conclusion. Because we're sitting there, and I'm sitting there going, but didn't we win? Yes, we did. But there's more. We need to beware of jumping to the conclusion that Jesus so completely defeated the ruler of this world that there is no real danger or opposition anymore. We do not want to become complacent. It does sound like that at times in the New Testament. For example, John 12, 31. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. Awesome. John 16, 11, The ruler of this world is judged. Awesome. Hebrews 2, 14. Christ took on human flesh so that through death he might destroy him who has the power of death. That is the devil. Double awesome. Colossians 2.15 God disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing triumphing over them in Christ. Nice, good stuff. All of these are totally glorious, true statements about the decisive victory that was won by Jesus when he died and rose again. We're not putting those aside. But it would be a mistake to jump to the conclusion that because the deciding battle has been fought, therefore the war is over. The war for souls is far from over. We know that's not what the New Testament means. For example, after saying in John 12, 31, now shall the ruler of this world be cast out, Jesus also prays like this in John 17, 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. So the evil one is still active even now. And this is what he's up to. Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. That's why the world has gone mad. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, small g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Big G. Massive G. Capital G. Satan snatches the word away from people who hear. Matthew 13, 4 and 19. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Satan does deceptive signs and wonders. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. The coming of the lawless one by the activity of Satan will be with all power and with signs and wonders of falsehood and with wicked deception for those who are to perish. Better be ready for that one, eh? Yeah. Satan uses people to hinder others from believing. It's one of my personal favorites. <sighs> sarcasm, sarcasm. 
When Paul preached to the Roman proconsul on the island of Cyprus in Acts 13, the proconsul was eager to hear the word and was about to believe. But there was a Jewish false prophet and magician there named Alamas. Acts 13.8 says he resisted Paul and Barnabas and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But look what happened next. But then Paul was filled with the Spirit and saw what was really happening in the spiritual realm and said, You son of the devil! Woo! You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy! Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. How's that for a convincing argument? Stop it, you son of the devil, go blind. God says, all too happy to oblige. (laughs) Go back to the beginning of the passage and you'll see why. So notice the use of power here. He calls Alamas a son of the devil. Now that's interesting because that is what Jesus called the tears in the parable of the wheat and the tears in Matthew 13, 38. The tears are the sons of the evil one. So Alamas is a tear that Satan has sown, a weed, that Satan has sown in a strategic place to hinder the faith of a possible new convert who had quite a bit of power. In this case, Paul counterattacked with supernatural power. You shall be blind for a time. Whoo! Yeah, part of me kind of wants to say, yeah, God, bring it on. Part of me is afraid I might be the one who goes blind. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Satan hinders mission efforts in general. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 to 18, Paul tells the church that he had endeavored eagerly to come to them again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan throws Christians in prison and persecutes them. Revelation 2.10 to the church in Smyrna. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death. Words you love to hear. And, we'll give, and I will give you the crown of life. Yeah, let's finish with that bit. Just a little aside. If you fear nothing, not even death. Satan can't touch you. Something to think about. And if you get there, please write the book and bring it to me. I need to read that book. All of this is simply to show you what it means that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We're up against a global power that touches and in some measure controls all culture and society. Now, this power is not opposed to most ordinary things of life that you do, like cleaning your teeth, eating, sleeping, working. As long as you just go along like the world, he's willing to live and let live. But if you start shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then immediately you're a target. He blinds, he snatches the word, he deceives with signs and wonders, he uses people to hinder faith, he messes up plans and he persecutes and throws in prison. If we are going to make headway against the kingdom of Satan, it means war. It means war. It means a conflict of kingdoms. It means learning the meaning of the kingdom of God in the world and how to exercise its power. 
So here's the question. Do you want to fight back? Do you want to have it so that when you get out of bed in the morning, Satan goes, oh, no, they're up again. What are they going to do today? I want to fight back. I'm going to be honest with you. There's days where I don't. I'm going to be honest with you and say there's days where I, I need you guys. There are days where, you know, we, we onward Christian soldiers, not on your own. We have to stick together in this fight. We have to be there for it. And I'll, I'll tell you this now, at the risk of actually making some of you upset, I'll tell you this now, the first thing Satan does in the church is tries to divide. People against the leaders, leaders against the leaders, people against the people. Yeah, that's another sermon. And I don't have time for it today. <laughs> Dear God, help us. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. We're back to the beginning of where we started. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So in God's will, it is always yes and amen. You know, if you say, I want to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and God's not going to say, no, you haven't quite worded that right. No way. God is real. God is listening. God cares. And God is playing for the win. And he's outside of time looking in, and he knows exactly what's coming, and he knows exactly where to put his resources. If Satan's going to put tears out there amongst the field, even more so is God going to put us out there to rip those tears out. 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children. Little children, there's trust right there. Trust like a child. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you, capital H, greater is he, who is in you than he, little h, who is in the world. Let me say it again. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Pick up the sword of the Lord. Pick up the Bible. Praise. Satan hates praise. Because it's a reminder that he's lost. It's a war between kingdoms and our God, capital G, not small g, our king is greater than Satan's whispers. Use those if you'd come, please. Let's say it together. He who is in us. On three. One, two, three. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. One more time. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. One more time. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? Some of you have been facing this day by day, facing things that are turning people away from God, facing a media that seems hell-bent on destroying Christians, facing 
policies that seem hell-bent on destroying everything that God loves. Time to get militant. Time to get on our knees. Time to pull out the sword of the Lord and start swinging. And God will show you how to do that. We don't all do it in the same way. And that's another sermon. Shining the light is how we fight back. And the darkness cannot stand against it. In a pitch black room, one candle lights it all. Be the candle. Be the light of Jesus wherever you are this week. And if fear is coming your way, get on your knees because perfect love drives out all fear. And we've just heard that whatever you ask, if you ask in the will of God, you will receive it. And speaking of prayer, very shortly after I pray, I'm going to open up the altar here. And you don't have to come up here. You can be praying with your mates wherever you are. But don't leave here today without getting that strengthened bond of prayer with your brothers and sisters. Don't fight alone. Because the other thing the devil does is try to isolate us. So if the last thing you want to do today is to actually be seen to need prayer, that's probably the first thing you need to do. Been there. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that we are part of your armies. Thank you that we win. And Lord, as we look at this world, may we not focus on the storm of the world, but may we focus on the fact that you are in our boat. Help us today, Lord, to know greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And may we rise up in a new way, in a new anointing, and take forth the fight to speak the truth in love. May love sweep this nation. May love sweep the world. But may love continue to sweep our hearts to prepare us for it. And this we ask in the mighty name of Jesus.